Welcome to the 5 Here o'clock we go, show. You it's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. This is John Katsimatidis, and we got one dynamite show today. All the things that have been happening in the studio with us. We got Judge Richard Weinberg. We have Tony Carbonetti. And Borough President uh, Vito Fasella. And uh, who is the best person to have on to give us what the heck is going on between CNN and Fox? Uh, Nobody better than our own Bill O'Reilly. That's it. And he is joining us now. we got some breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. And joining us is the great Bill O'Reilly. What an incredible news day, John, with Tucker Carlson uh, leaving Fox, gone, and Don Lemon. And joining us now is the mega best-selling author, of course, the host of Common Sense on WABC every night, 9 to 10. And you hear him, of course, on Sid and Friends and elsewhere, the great Bill O'Reilly. Bill, what is your reaction to, I mean, earthquakes in the media world today? Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, six years ago this week that I left Fox News after 20-plus years doing the O'Reilly Factor, the dominant cable news program of all time. Um, Tucker Carlson took over for me for the first three years. His ratings were soft. He lost about a million, maybe a little bit more of my audience. Uh, And then in 2020, he took a hard right turn uh decided to uh program for very committed conservative people whereas i wanted a big tent like wabc wants now i mean i wanted conservatives of course but i wanted liberals and independents to to watch me carlson basically program for uh a very hard right audience and his numbers came up and uh he was the second highest show Fox next to the five. But in the past, oh, I'd say four or five months, his show and every other show on Fox News has lost a considerable amount of their younger audience, 25 to 54. They have fled for some reason. I don't think it's because of the lawsuit, but I could be wrong on that. Anyway, I train most of the people who are producing the shows at Fox News today. So I know a lot. And on the Tucker Carlson front, they were preparing to do the Monday night show, tonight's show, in mid-morning. They were having their meetings, and as people always do, when word came down that Mr. Carlson was out. Everybody was stunned. Uh, Nobody knew why. There was no explanation given. It's just that he wasn't going to do uh, work for Fox News anymore. His last show was last Friday, a show which did not do well in the ratings, by the way, last Friday, interestingly enough. But it wasn't a ratings play that uh, led to his dismissal. It was lawsuits. And um, Fox settled, as everybody know, for the uh, 7.8 uh, million dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, billion. Seven hundred and eighty-eight. I sound like yeah. I said million dollars. Like almost a billion. Meter. Almost a billion. I can't get my numbers straight. Seven hundred eighty billion. Um, 
they settle for everybody knows that. But if you watched 60 Minutes last night, you saw a guy named Ray Epps on, who flat out accused Tucker Carlson of ruining his life. And Epps is setting himself up for a major lawsuit against Carlson of Fox News. Story is that Tucker Carlson implied that Epps had something to do with fomenting the January 6th riot. And that lawsuit, after watching that 60 Minutes broadcast, it's coming. But even more damaging was a producer who worked for uh, the Carlson program, who apparently has some tape, audio tape, of bad things being said. I don't know what they are. But she has already filed a lawsuit against Fox News and Carlson show. And her lawyers are saying, if you don't pay us a lot of money, we're going to make these recordings public. So in the face of all of that, and then Smartmatic lawsuit, shareholder lawsuits against the Fox um, company by people who hold their stock, they had to get out of Tucker. And that's what happened. Wow. Wow, that is explosive. Now, there's rumors. I mean, are you privileged no, no, any no, rumors? No rumors. I don't do rumors. That's good. I don't do any rumors. What I just told you is, facts. is in stone. Yes. And what about Don Lemon? So Lemon is a whole different thing. He has terrible ratings, unlike Carlson. And they moved him off prime time and into the morning show. And the morning show is the lowest rated morning show in the history of cable news. <laughs> Lemon himself is controversial, which is not a bad thing. I'm controversial. And I think I'm swell. But <laughs> Lemon, apparently, he's hard to work with com combining the low ratings, combining the fact that it didn't look like this morning show was going to turn around. That's why they let him go. It's a pretty simple equation, a business equation. You know, it's interesting, by the way, did you see uh, Nikki Haley came out, Bill, and said uh, of Don Lemon's passing, it's a great day for women everywhere. That was because, remember, he made the statement about uh, yeah, the former Secretary of State passed her prime. Um, it, it's interesting to see sort of the different reactions of, to Tucker and Don Lemon. Where, where do you think they go next? What are your thoughts? Well, I don't care where they go. Um, there'll be opportunities for Carlson. Uh, he may do what I do. He may set up his own news operation or podcast operation. Um, but the importance of this story is far beyond the media and personalities. It's going to have a direct effect on the 2024 presidential election. So tonight on Common Sense on WABC, you're going to hear Don Trump Jr. react to this. And I grill him pretty hard about the fact that Fox News, in my opinion, is going to diminish now. It's already skidding in the, in the ratings and has been, as I mentioned, for a few months. But now that's going to accelerate. The Murdochs don't want Donald Trump to be president again. They've made that quite clear. If you read the New York Post, you see that. Okay? So the MAGA people, which comprise a large percentage of the facts. Fox audience, they're not going to hang around there. 
And Trump is going to lose a lot of exposure that he had in the past on Fox News because fewer people will be watching and they don't want him to be president anyway, the management. That suppresses the Trump campaign. If, if um, the Florida governor, DeSantis, gets the nomination, and it does not look like that will happen at this point in history, it may help DeSantis because Fox would like to see him, again, the management, as president. But right now, this is not a good thing for Donald Trump. So, Bill, it's Tony Carbonetti. So d- does Tucker now, uh, I'm sure he's got some kind of leave where he can't go back on the air for X number of months, whatever the agreement states. Does he go pick up and hop on the Trump bandwagon and go campaigning with him? I doubt it. Carlson was never a overtly Republican guy. He was a contrarian who got into, uh, as I mentioned, the far-right precincts on Ukraine. I mean, the Russian television uh, network was um, basically saying this is the horrible thing that Carlson got booted. Uh, the vaccination stuff, all of that. He, he is not a party guy. And I might point out that he is a very talented broadcaster, uh, Tucker Carlson. He's good at what he does. Absolutely. And he made a shrewd move going to the far right because he wasn't succeeding in the general audience. And it was shrewd what he did. Um, but now I think he'll go where I go. Uh, he'll do what I do. Not We do a hard news presentation, as you know, if you listen to Common Sense at 9 o'clock on WABC, you know what we do. He'll do more of what he does or what he did on Fox News on a podcast like Rogan, and he'll make a lot of money. Wow. Now, let me ask you the the $64 million question, Bill. That's up Um, to a billion already. Oh, it is. It's up to a billion at least. See, I've read the book. I read the book, so it's two billion. Um, What else do you think is ahead at Fox News, at at our beloved uh, former place? I don't know if the word beloved is what I would use. <laughs> um, She's very I diplomatic. No I'm a them. diplomat. I'm a diplomat. Yeah, I know. I have no beef with them uh, at all, and I don't criticize them. I, I report on, on what's happening over there. I, I'll take cheap shots against them. I had 20-plus years, and I was paid very well. Um, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. It's not the same network as when I was there. Um, but if you look at the chart, the ratings chart, it's down. And I don't see anyone who can take that 8 o'clock slot, and that is the most important slot on the network, 8 o'clock. But everybody should know that if you get into the television news game, this is a wicked industry, wicked. There's no more Tammy Wynette standing by your man. No matter what you do, or how loyal you are, if you're not serving the company's interests, you're over the side without a life jacket. Everybody should know how bad this is. It's worse than Hollywood. It's even worse than politics. Television news is the trench, and everybody in it knows that. Uh, Bill, Bill, this is Vito Fasella. Um, for most people who... Uh, 
don't are not aware of how these conversations take place. Any way you can sort of describe what you think may have happened in terms of conversation at the C-suite? I'm sure this went up to the very top, and they had to sit down with uh, with, with Tucker Carlson. How how would you frame that conversation if you can? Well, I don't want to speculate on it because I don't do that, Vito. I'll tell you that I don't think they sat down with Tucker Carlson at all. He's not in New York. He doesn't live here. He lives in Maine and Florida. I think they contacted his lawyer. In fact, I know they did. And they told him this was it. There was no discussion. Uh, With Don Lemon at CNN, he found out by an email. I mean, there's no, they don't like sit down and talk to people that they want to get rid of. That doesn't happen. It's through the lawyers or whatever, and, and then people, you know, learn of it, and they're blindsided. Both Lemon and Carlson were blindsided. They had no idea this was going to happen to them. Do you believe, Bill, um, that anybody else at Fox is vulnerable? That's sort of where I was headed, too. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Bongino, he was the first one. Dan Bongino. Um, and I think you'll see it'll be a, like a mini purge. And um, they're going to do it for economic reasons. Look, when you lose $780 million, did I get it right? $780 million? Give it take 100 Yeah, 787 right? <laughs> Everybody's salary is going to be cut. Everybody. And they'll lay off about 30% of their Disney's laying off now like crazy. Um, And FNC will lay off about 30% of their staff in the next year. They have to recover. They can't continue this way. Plus, they got all these other lawsuits. They're going to have to pay them. They're not going to win any of them. And so... It's dark days. I know a lot of people. I have friends, a lot of friends there at Fox. I feel terrible for them. Everybody's insecure. Everybody's got families. Um, and there's no upside here at all. None. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great points, Bill. Really, really Bill, powerful. What are you going to talk about tonight on your show? Well, this takes up a lot of it. And then Don Jr., Um and then I'm, I'm getting into the fact that, look, the media in America is drastically changing. You know, uh, when you think about the success the WABC has had over the past three years, it was really over for, for the big legacy New York City station. It was over. Well, he has 26 out of 27 rated or something like that. Yeah. Well, that success is almost unique now. Every other media outlet of size, okay, is declining rapidly. There have been purges at ABC News, purges at CBS News, and it's people are getting their information from their phones and computers. And I have to say the cable news across the board and network news is as boring, you know, as uh, sand. I mean, it's more exciting for me to sit out on a beach 
and look at the sand than it is to watch many of these cable news shows. It's just boring. But WABC has managed to put together a lively, honest presentation in the nation's largest market, and people are responding to that. But the other corporate media haven't figured that out. Well, and Bill O'Reilly. talk about that tonight. I'll be listening at 9 o'clock tonight on WABCradio.com, BillOReilly.com, and 9 to 10 o'clock tonight, Bill O'Reilly will be back to tell us the rest of the story. Let's take a break now, and when we come back, we have uh, Martin Hasner coming up, and also we also have Andy McCarthy coming up with some blockbuster stuff tied to Hunter Biden. Stay with us, everybody. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby is the former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, also columnist for National Review, Andy McCarthy. Andy, you wrote a blockbuster column about Mike Morrell. All of this stuff uh, tied to the 51 intel experts who signed the letter saying, oh, it uh, looks like Russian disinformation. Tell us all about it. Well, first of all, let's well, let our audience know Mike Morrell, who he is. Yeah, former CIA director, and of course, he is the guy who is tied with the whole thing tied to Tony Blinken and the 51 intel agents so, who signed so, that letter. So our audience to know what's going on, Tony Blinken, who's the current Secretary of State, communicated with the former CIA director, Morrell, and told them he needs a bunch of signatures certifying. Right? And, and why it was important is Biden used it to basically discount the whole Hunter Biden laptop. Three days later, right on stage uh, with uh, Donald Trump during the debate. Absolutely. So now we're going to go to the expert, Andrew. We got a big expert. Go ahead, Andrew, now that we set it up. Thanks. Well, well, I, you guys have, have laid out the important facts. I think it, the reason this is so important is these former officials who always try to come off as if they are, you know, nonpartisan, just calling balls and strikes, only concerned about the country and national security and all that stuff. The reason that they have uh, cachet with the public is because we all know they have uh, privileged access to national defense Secrets. So when they tell you things, uh, we can assume that it's on the basis of their great concern, patriotic concern for the country, uh, plus the fact that they're privy to things that we don't know because we have to be able to maintain secrets. And what these guys did was basically prostituted themselves and their reputations and this credence that we give them because of their privileged access to help. Joe Biden get elected president. So they did it for purely partisan reasons. And I think it's shameful. As somebody who's who's worked in national security, to me, there's nothing worse than when these guys sell the trust that we give them for partisan gain. And that's obviously what happened here. You know, Andy um, and John, you interviewed Ron Johnson over the weekend, too. Senator Johnson, yeah, yes, and yeah. he was upset. He's very upset. He and also Congressman Andy Biggs have come out and said, well, you know what? Uh, maybe Blinken should resign. What are your thoughts? Well, I look, I don't need to. You're pushing on an open door with me, Rita, on that one, <laughs> because I just think that 
anybody who disserves the country this way should not be privileged with political power. Um, I think that we have to have people in charge who uh, are doing, who we can trust are doing the right thing for the right reasons for the country. And if you would take this kind of, you know, privileged status, and he, and let's remember with, with Blinken, who was working at the, for the Biden campaign at the time, we're not just talking about what he did for himself in order to line himself up for this job. We're talking about, you know, more than four dozen intelligence professionals who he evidently uh, looped into this whole exercise so that they could all cash their credentials in uh, for Biden's political gain. I just think it's shameful. Now, I mean, it's just getting disgusting what's going on in Washington, Andrew. Is anybody telling the truth at all? I mean, I'm just scratching my head. Well, you know, I I guess I'd be inclined to uh, to criticize Mike Morrell, who I did criticize, as, as Rita mentioned in the in the column that I wrote over the weekend. But just to be fair to him, we know what we know about this because he testified under oath and and owned up to it. Um, so at least, you know, if, if we want to look for some silver lining, maybe that's one. But it's. It's a very thin so he did, he, in what to me is a very dark situation. Then let's let's tell the public what we all mean and we understand. When uh, Morell went in front of what the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, he told the truth, and that's how we so found out the rest of the story. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any reason to doubt that he that he went in and testified truthfully. Yeah, uh, you mean uh, not truthfully. In other words, you believe he was truthful when he was under oath. Yeah, he was truthful, and that's right. why we found exactly. out that uh, somebody made those phone calls to get, uh, you know, uh, it's like having, I'm, you know, uh, calling up to 20, but 51 people and saying to them, look, I want you to sign this document. And, and these guys signed a document without just on his say-so? Well, that's why they should be hauled in. I would be curious, you know, why did you sign on to this? The thing that's interesting, too, John, is the FBI at this point knew that the laptop was real. So if you were an Intel official, especially a former defense secretary, and he had four of them sign on to that letter, I mean, they knew what they were saying wasn't true. I mean, if you had access to top security, isn't that right, Andy? Yeah, Rita, and, and I'd say one other thing about that because I think this is the important part of the story that isn't being covered enough, which is, I, you know, I used to do this sort of thing for a living too. And anyone who looked at the New York Post's reporting of Hunter Biden's laptop would have seen that it had immense indicia of reliability and authenticity. It was clear that it was his stuff. And it was clear not only on its face, but by virtue of the fact that the Biden campaign at the time was not denying a lot. You know, in the first days when when they were asked, you know, did Biden meet with this uh, executive from Ukraine uh, that Hunter introduced him to? They didn't say, no way, that never happened. They said, we'll have to go back and check the calendar. So it was perfectly obvious to anybody who's done this sort of thing uh, in his career that this was authentic information. And what I find unbelievable is that these are supposed to be the cream of the crop of our $90 billion a year. Our intelligence, our intelligence. They say they, they say they looked at this stuff 
and the first thing they thought was Russian disinformation. There's not a shred of evidence that that was Russian disinformation, but there's a lot of evidence there were, that there's very shady foreign payments to the Biden. Yeah, one big setup, John, one big setup. And, and what a joke on the American people, sadly, because Biden used they it as conned, ammo. The nicest way, they conned the American people into voting uh, for who they wanted them to vote for. Yeah, and there were people who said afterwards, John, that they would have voted for somebody else had they known that information or differently, at least. Yes, they lied to the American people. Thank you so much, Andrew McCarthy, former U.S. attorney. Uh, for the Southern District of New York, and uh, may, wow. may the American people find out the truth soon. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for having me. God bless. Well, wow, that's wow. explosive. Wow. And that wow. comes, John, also is James Comer came out today, and he said there are 12 Biden family members that he's tracking payments vis-a-vis Hunter Biden. The plot is thickening. <laughs> I mean, at, at what point did the American people say, you know, we're taking our country down downhill. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get some answers soon. Uh, Comer, Jordan, everybody's on and now, it. And even more serious, after the break, we have uh, Bill Parker that's going to talk about uh, the uh, evil alliance. China, Russia wants to put missiles in uh, in Cuba, Venezuela, all over again. Right in our Where's back John door. Kennedy? Wow. <laughs> Scary Let's stuff. Let's take a break. We're going to go to Lou Dobbs to see how the markets are, and then we're going to come back with Bill Parker. You're commuting home with Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. This is John Katz and and Rita Cosby. We're back, and... Uh, what a mess we have in our hands, Rita, don't we? Really scary stuff that was coming out this weekend, and a lot of it related to Russia and China. The the, the evil access. Yeah, that Russia they're planning. Russia and China, and they're extending themselves to the northern hemisphere. This well, is scary. Where, where's John Kennedy? Yeah, you're right. And by the way, that's what you're thinking of. Uh, who is it? The foreign minister Lavrov of Russia goes is talking about he goes to Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua. And there's word that Moscow is considering stationing nuclear missiles in that area. Think yeah, about that's that. What what I said. That where's John Kennedy? That's what I'm saying. It well, is so... what is today? Is uh, Dr. William Parker, a longtime Navy man and president of the East-West Institute that always seeks peace uh, and knows about what the heck is happening uh, uh, in in the world. Uh, Bill Parker, what the heck is going on? Well, John, uh, uh, great to be back on the show with you and Rita again. Uh, first of all, when you, when you made that comparison, I think JFK, who was a Purple Heart recipient and commanded a PT boat during World War II, Johnson, who was a Silver Star recipient as his vice president, and Dean Rusk, who's a former colonel in the U.S. Army. Today, you have uh, Biden, Harris, Blinken, uh, zero uh, days in the U.S. military. So it's a little bit different there. But more importantly, we have a difference because today we're dealing with Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, and you got Saudi Arabia and others building alliances with the uh, Russians and the Chinese. It's concerning. And Judge Weinberg, you got a question from Dr. Bill Parker. Parker. Dr. Parker, I want to raise with you an issue that concerns me, which is that the Chinese ambassador to France made an announcement that as far as they were concerned, that those countries that left the Soviet Union were now not legitimate countries and that the Soviet Union or Russia could look at them again because they're not legitimate independent countries. What do you think about that? 
Judge, uh, as we started to talk about last time I was on with you, uh, the, the reality is they're looking at the this is their opportunity. This is Russia and China's opportunity of how far can they push this? Can they disenfranchise the, the agreements that have been made over the years? And are we going to see the former Soviet Union rebuild, which is what Putin's wanted all along? China would love that as well as they build their alliance. And don't forget uh, India, who is buying cheap oil and, and buying a lot of weapons right now from Russia. Tony Carbonetti? Yeah, well, Bill, how are you? We've, we've always heard that Putin's great dream is to rebuild the Soviet Union, be the, the one that puts it all back together and go down in history as the great Russian leader. Um, what are we hearing, though, about his health? Because I know several months ago, as the Ukrainian war was turning for the worse, they were saying, oh, he's getting, uh, there's something a little wrong there. Maybe he's on his way out. And now you hear nothing about it. Are you hearing anything? Yeah, um, you know, I'm hearing more about mental health than I am about physical health. But when you look at him, he looks bloated. He looks like he's uh, uh, exhausted, and he probably is. Um, I believe he's probably very concerned about potential coup uh, within his country. So I think there's both physical and mental health issues that are going on there uh, and looking that. And I am hearing some rumors that he is uh, he is struggling. And everybody, we're talking to Bill Parker. He's the CEO of Parker Maritime Technologies, a retired senior U.S. Naval officer, commanded three warships. Uh, Dr. Parker, I got to ask the question, what does this mean for America? Well, what I think it means for America is we need to get our act together. I mean, we, we need to look at the fact that the top five people in the U.S. government right now have zero military experience, um, and there are no advisors around them to include the fact that the Secretary of Veterans Affairs is also no military experience, um, which is a new thing. Um, so I think we need to take a good, hard look at that. I think we need to look at our security. I also think we need to look at our borders to uh, to lock those down because you have lots of Chinese rolling into the United States right now. Uh, and I think we need to look at our ballistic missile defense capabilities very carefully, as uh, likely you're going to have Yars missiles moving into the hemisphere soon. And Borough President Vito Fisella. Hey, Bill. Um, what if this is just a, a bluff? I mean, we, granted, we always have to prepare for the worst. But is this a game that uh, Russia may be playing? And if it's not a game, what should we be observing and what steps will they be taking if they're serious about deploying nuclear um arsenal in the in the western hemisphere yeah it's a great question i think that um it's a very dangerous game first of all second of all i don't think we should learn the wrong lessons from the cuban missile crisis just because it worked out for everyone last time and i mean everyone the russians and the americans doesn't mean it will this time uh and so i think we need to look at this very seriously when you look at the uh kilotonnage of weapons that are deployed um when you look at hiroshima it was one-tenth the weapon that we dropped on Hiroshima is one-tenth that of what they're putting on Yars missiles today, and they're MIRVed, which means you can put three of those weapons anywhere in the United States, from Venezuela, from anywhere in the in the Western Hemisphere. You know, I want to um, switch a little gears, if I can, Dr. Parker, and talk about Sudan, because that's also in the headlines these days. There are now uh, thousands. They think there's about 16,000 Americans that are sort of stranded in Sudan. Is it going to be like Afghanistan again? Uh, yeah, sixteen to 17,000 Americans there, and we go in and snatch up, uh, what, six, 700 um, uh, folks and pull them out from the embassy. Don't get me wrong, that's a, that's a great start, but the reality is you need those embassy people to um, execute a neo, a noncombatant evacuation 
uh, order. And now that they're gone, it makes that more complicated as well. So the communications uh, drop significantly. The other part is if you start communicating ahead of time <laughs> that you're not going to put military in there, that hurts you. Yeah, you're right. It's just like Afghanistan. I mean, what a disaster. Real quick, Judge Weinberg, you got a question there? Well, I'm not an armchair general, but it seems to me we have to get our military in there to protect those sixteen to 17,000 Americans. I think we need to get our military in and get those people out. I would have done it a couple of weeks ago when uh, when the rumblings were started. I would have rolled them out then. Um, now, what you're talking about, uh, air bridge and land bridge, it gets a lot more complicated and a lot more dangerous. So um, there's a lot of work to be done there. I'm sure there's a lot of people at the Pentagon and elsewhere that are working this. But uh, I think timing is important, just like Afghanistan pulling out at the wrong time. Uh, and in the wrong order matters. And I think we might be doing it again. Wow. How sad is that? Well, uh, then you have Admiral Kirby go out in the White House steps to say what a wonderful job they did. Yeah, exactly. What a success as they're clinging onto the planes. How sad. Six, 16 or 17,000 Americans in that small country. In that My small God. country. And it just kind of happened. It's been erupting. And they got out the diplomats, but exactly. everybody else is that trying is to get the out. country. We're uh, back in the 1990s. What they they killed? What half a million uh, people? Yes, big, big time. And I strife. remember the pain that Bill Clinton had in his face and his heart uh, because uh, he, you know they outsmarted us at that time and. Doing can't have, yeah, can't have it happen, can't again. happen again. Yeah, and you would think he would have learned our president, this one, after Afghanistan, after the dismal, pathetic withdrawal. There's still Americans begging to get yeah, out there. But this is not news, right? This should be a simulation, a plan in place weeks, if not months ago, as the doctor just said, that in the event that we have to evacuate the Americans, this is what we're going to do. Not pull everybody out of the embassy and say, hey, 16,000 Americans, you're on your own. It's oh, my nuts. God. Yeah, and by the, they got the embassy guys out. Yes. They left 16,000 Americans. And my you know what God. they did, John? John Kirby, who is the spokesperson, National Security Council spokesperson, literally said at the White House last week, we don't know what we're going to do. Uh, we're only going to maybe get the diplomats. Basically, you are on your own, Americans. What a message that sends. And, and this is the president wants announced for re-election? Yeah. And Isn't that amazing? And we're supposed to say this is okay? Yeah, unbelievable. Well, Dr. Parker, thank you very much for being with us. We really appreciate it. What's pray serious for America. stuff? Yeah. Bill Parker, Always pray my- for America. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Uh, right now, I understand uh, we got Dr. Mark Siegel with us, and are we sending him to uh, Sudan to help out the people there? <laughs> no, I love him too much. We can't we do love that. Him too much. <laughs> Dr. Siegel, great to have you here. Um, you know, I want to ask you there was a, a, a headline that really upset us all that fried food creates depression. Please tell us we all want to keep our French fries. Please tell us we can't. Can't be true. I'd be the most depressed person in the world. Upset you. But we're not talking about that headline. So. <laughs> we're going to spare you on that one. <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal on French fries. And, and John Casamitidi is listening very carefully, although I've been out to dinner with him multiple times and I've never seen a French fry in sight. I think it's really hard to parse out what the issue is here. Do depressed people eat French fries or do eating French fries make you depressed? <laughs> 
depends I mean, how many, right? <laughs> I, I think it's the former. I think that people are depressed. They're anxious. They've been shut down. They, you know, they see too many rats in the streets in New York. They get they get upset. They reach reach for a, a crispy French fry, and then they they notice later on, hey, wait a minute, what happened to my waistline? And they get even more depressed. So I think it's a vicious cycle. I don't think there's anything in the fry itself that induces depression. If anything, it does the opposite. It releases happy hormones, at least temporarily. They wear off, you get depressed. How's my theory? Okay. I think if the corollary... <laughs> Much better it, than what I thought. Isn't the corollary, if you don't eat French fries, you get depressed? Is that a possibility? <laughs> Vito wants to know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, 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 that's my ultimate theory. I, I mean, I was, just, uh, I was just in the UK, and I love the fish and chips. By the way, would you believe, John, would you believe there was a place called the Happy Halibut I found in London that had the best fish and chips I've ever had, but I couldn't imagine that halibut without an accompanying fries. You need the old French fries. Yeah, you need the old fry. Now, you also have some stuff on uh, long-term COVID, um, the ringing in the ears. Kind of give us an update on that. Well, so again, here again, John is listening carefully because he's been one from the beginning that has talked about side effects of these vaccines. And he's going to uh, relish my acknowledging that I think that Greg Poland, who's the head of vaccine research at Mayo, is right that maybe ringing in the ears actually could be associated with the vaccine. Uh, there's been multiple cases, including Dr. Poland. But but more more to the point is COVID itself is causing a ton of these side effects. It's, you get there's a lot of ringing in the ears from COVID, from the virus. Uh, gets worse if you have it already. I mean, 25% of Americans already have ringing in the ears. So that's that's the thing that's come out now this week, which is ringing in the ears associated with the vaccine, ringing in the ears associated with the virus. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of long COVID going forward. There's a lot of it. And, you know, there's people that say they have it that don't have it. I admit a lot of some of this is psychological. Some of this is anxiety, not real. But the virus itself does cause long-term side effects. Mark, it's Tony Carbonetti. Uh, as you know, I have two daughters, 18 and 19, and I could care less about myself. Whatever was in the, whatever was in the, the shot was in the shot. But I did the, quote, right thing. And they got their vaccines and they got their boosters. They each got one booster, actually. Um, do I have to worry about anything? No. You know why? Because what you're really asking me about is fertility and the menstrual yes, period. That's what that's you're really what... asking about. And the truth is, I I weigh that, too, because I have a daughter in her early 20s. But I think in the end, the virus is causing more havoc with that. And and here's my point. You're going to get the virus anyway. That's what the, the Democrats got completely wrong. You're going to get the virus anyway, but you have much less chance of long term side effects if you also got vaccinated. I, I, I say that knowing that John is never paying for the next dinner because he just he you know, he's more on the issue. Of well, the me and you have to be very careful because we have Dr. Michalos looking over us while we're eating. He won't eat anything. <laughs> Well, he's he's Mr. Natural, and I think that he's he's actually right about that. I think, you know, you, you know, I, something I covered on Fox this morning was the issue of of drinking chart, uh, tart cherry juice at night to help you go to sleep. And I actually believe in that, and I believe in magnesium if your kidneys are okay. I think there's things we can do that are natural before we jump into pharmaceuticals. Well, I have that magnesium too, and uh, uh, we got a minute left. Anything else, uh, Doctor? 
I think that we're coming into a better place. I think I think uh, we're coming into a better place. By the way, I'll I'll tell you another thing I love. By the way, it sounds it was, like the was, rabbi uh, when he's no, saying goodbye. No, it sounds, no, it sounds <laughs> like Sydney Carton in uh, Tell of Two Cities. You know what the best thing in the world is? If you're in, a, if you arrive in Dublin at ten o'clock at night, there's a pub that stays open. Will serve you chicken. Will serve you fries. And we'll serve you Guinness on draft. Can someone there, a medical expert, tell me why Guinness that you get in the United States is so bitter? No matter what, where you get it, a keg, a draft, a bottle. But if you get it in Ireland, it tastes like a milkshake. Why is that? The original Irish pub. Yeah, wow. I, so he's a medical expert and a beer expert. We love that about you. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, so great to have you here. By the, way, by the way, Rita, since you're there, the show is skyrocketing. You're so much better than whoever was there before you. What a great addition you are to the show with John. Well, I am the lucky one to sit next to the great John Katsimatidis every Absolutely. night because he is the best. And and I get the best health tips from you and him. So we're taking it in all the time. Dr. Mark Siegel, we love you. Great to be on. And by the way, I'm followed by the great Bill O'Reilly. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. Yep. You can't beat that. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we have the head of the Liberal Party. Who's going to tell us what's the difference between the liberal party and the so-called progressives? Let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And it's been an exciting show today. And uh, there's so many things happening. Now, all New Yorkers, we've always had the liberal party. Liberal party has always been around New York. I think Rudy Giuliani had the nomination of the Liberal Party as a, a Republican. I think Bloomberg had it. Uh, John Lindsay had it. John Lindsay had it. I know someone else who had it. I had it. You had it. You had, They and, loved you. You know, Liberal Party was a little bit to the left, but they had common sense. Absolutely. Now, Ray, Ray Harding was a dear friend. I love the man. I have with us today Martin Hasner, the executive director of the Liberal Party, and... Who are these socialists? Who are these progressives? Martin Hasner, what say you? Nice to hear you, John and Rita and the gang behind you. Um, I actually had a conversation with Tony years ago. He won't remember, but I did. It was I remember you, Martin. Okay. <laughs> so here's the difference. Then we'll talk about the similarities. Here's the difference, John. The difference is education. The Liberal Party started in 1940 and, and had its greatest days right up close to the 1970s. The men and women who ran the Liberal Party, who were members of the Liberal Party, were educated then, when America had the greatest education system in the world. Now, we're 28th in the world, behind little countries like Latvia and Lithuania. And the young people who are identifying themselves as progressives and who've been put forward by a non-political party called the Democratic Socialists have been educated since, mostly because they're very young, in 1990s through the early 2000s. They simply don't know what they need to know to get what they want. Wanting is never enough. If you don't know how to get what you want, you simply don't get it. They were started 
by a brilliant guy who knew that America and New York and New Jersey and even Staten Island would never be socialist. And he only wanted the Democratic Socialists to keep the Democratic Party to the left. The Liberal Party had a totally different sense of meaning. It existed to make the Republican Party human and to make the Democratic Party honest. Two huge challenges, to say the least. So what we have is a bunch of young people who are recognizing the needs of this country in some remarkable, sincere ways. They are not socialists, but they believe what the Liberal Party believes. And this is a key point that government, government has the money and the power to offset the money and power of corporate America, which, as we all know, dominates the ebb and flow of our lives. That we have in common. That's not a socialist view. We're not saying everything has to be government. Well, we've got comments. Marty, we have comments here from the, uh, from the peanut gallery here. In the, we only have two minutes left. Judge Weinberg okay, and then, let, let uh, just, then Vito Fasella. Let me just make one, more, let me make one more point. Go ahead. John, you say common sense. The station says common sense. It's critical. But if you don't know what you're doing, common sense is impossible. Okay, guys, fire away. I'll defer to the borough president. Hey, Marty, it's always good to hear you. Uh, this is Vito Fasella. Um, so, John, I think John started off with a sort of a perspective of what's the true difference between a liberal and a progressive. Maybe you can give an example of an issue or two where you feel as a liberal uh, have a point of view, but a progressive may feel differently. All right, let's 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 do an, let's do a relatively easy one because it's part of the world now. Power. Where are we going to get our power? The, the drive of the progressives is get rid of fossil fuel. Get rid of fossil fuel. Clear and simple. The Liberal Party says, One minute left. How? How? How can you get rid of something we need because we cannot connect the wind turbines or solar to every house, every building, every place in this country? How are we going to do it? You just don't do it. And they keep saying, yes, you've just got to do it. We want it. Does that sound like a grandchild you know? We want it. We want it now. Very good, Marty. Thank you. Thank, thank you, uh, Marty. We're going to have you back again because we have to finish this conversation. Yeah, very and, fascinating. Uh, it's very fascinating. The Liberal Party realizes you can't get rid of all the power. Yeah, and, and uh, the socialists or the ultra are like the grandchildren or some adults we know, too. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. Thank you so much. God bless America.